0: May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, for the past several weeks, we've been working our way through a very ancient piece of mail, an old letter written from a missionary preacher named Paul to a little uh, community at a church in northern Greece in a city called Philippi. Paul is, as we've seen, a prisoner. He is a, um, in a Roman prison for propagating an illegal religion, teaching people to follow the person of Jesus of Nazareth. And what we know from history is that Paul is going to go before Nero and that he will not survive the trial that he's about to face. He will be um, executed for his crime against the nobility of the Roman people. And um, and I think Paul realizes this too. If you read through the letter, he indicates several times, he realizes a very real possibility that he's about to be executed. But he's not angry or fearful he's not um he's not jaded or uh, sulking or fretful or any of those sorts of things he's rather courageous he's very confident in fact he says the truth is he's kind of torn between two opinions he doesn't know on the one hand whether it'd be better to um to be set free and to continue his work as a missionary or to die and immediately be in the presence of the lord and he even says this i don't even know which one i would choose and so he comes off as a very brave but i think even more than that as a true believer, he is all in this thing, and he really believes that the Lord is with him. The little community of Philippi in northern Greece not so stalwart; <laughs> they're not so advanced in the faith as St. Paul is. Um, they are—they uh, are, in fact, in a rather precarious position. If you were to liken uh, uh, the difference, it might be like that. Paul is this this strong oak tree. And the Christians in Philippi are little saplings, you know, they are, they're not quite where he is. Um, I think if Paul was searching for a metaphor for Christians, I think he might like the metaphor of a tree. Uh, it's a biblical metaphor, for instance, um, the first psalm. I don't know if you know this one. Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And the psalmist says... And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth its fruit in its season, and his leaf shall not wither. Whatever he does shall prosper. So this metaphor is a biblical metaphor, and Paul does like metaphors. He often uses metaphors to speak about Christians. Uh, In Ephesians, for instance, uh, the Christian is like a soldier who has on all this armor and these weapons and is ready to stand against the tide. Uh, other times, Paul refers to Christians like a runner, like an athlete, like a marathon runner. One time, like a boxer in 2 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, like a building, a beautiful uh, temple. So he loves metaphors. And I think if we had gone through all his mail, I, I think there's a letter out there that we're going to find one day. We're like, see, tree. It was in there all along. We just never got there. Paul could have likened us to trees. Little saplings, big strong oaks. A couple years ago, I was in my hometown of Springfield near Dayton. And um, as divine providence would have it, I had some time to myself. My, my mother and brother were at work. I don't know what I was doing in the middle of the week, but I happened to be there. And so I had some time to myself. And I thought to myself, self, you know, there are golf clubs in your trunk. And um, you, you might just go out and, uh, you know, have a little fun and play a little quick round of golf. And so uh, I was feeling really nostalgic. I drove down to Snyder Park. It's sort of like Springfield's version of Central Park. It's a long, sprawling park, and and, um, and it's there that I first played golf. There's a golf course in the back, and so I thought to myself, yes, I'm going to go back to Snyder Park and play a quick round of golf and still be able to take my mother to dinner. Because though I don't like to brag, I am a very good son. And so I was thinking to myself, that this would be a perfect way to, to do the day, right? And so I drive through Snyder Park, and I go through the big arch. And I'm heading down in there. And I realized that they changed the traffic patterns. It used to be that you could drive in this big figure eight through the through the two major sections of the park. And this is where kids would come down on Saturday afternoons and, um, you know, drive hot rods and squeech tires and all that sort of thing. And, and it would be a, a great place where where young girls could look for young boys and young boys could look for young girls. It was a wonderful place. and um, And they messed up the whole traffic pattern. So you can't do that anymore. And I thought, this is terrible. This is sad. And the place was empty. And that was sad. And then I drove by the lagoon. And it used to be out in the middle of the lagoon was a statue of a topless mermaid. And people used to swim out there and put undergarments on her as to, you know, we're decent people in Springfield. And um, they, they would, I don't know where they got the undergarments. Perhaps somebody didn't need them. And they put, would put, but she's gone. And I thought to myself, well, this is terrible so I go through the park, and, and then I'm, I'm ready to cross over the, the bridge going into the back part of the park where the golf course was. And, and as I get to the bridge, it's an old steel bridge with a green patina on it. They had covered off one lane, so the only one lane of traffic, which I assume is because the bridge is getting old and they don't want to replace it. So we'll just limit the traffic that goes on it, make it extend its life a little longer. And I realized that probably the next time or the next that I go, that bridge is going to be replaced. And it's not going to be with some beautiful steel bridge. It's going to be some gray, old concrete structure that's horrible looking. You know that's what it's going to be. And so I was, I was saddened yet a little bit more. But I cross the bridge. I head back. I make the turn. I'm going back towards the golf course. And as I'm just about to the golf course, I see that there's not a single car there, not one. And I see the clubhouse, and it looks abandoned. And I get out and I look around, and those dirty dogs in the Springfield Parks Department, do you know what they did? They shut down the entire golf course. I mean, that's un-American as far as I'm concerned. There's just something wrong with that. Somebody needs to be fired somewhere along the line. They, They shut down the golf course. Everything was different. Except for one thing. There was one thing that remained the same. These trees. We had, in, in Snyder Park, in Springfield, there are these massive trees. They are enormous. They are granite strong. These are blue-collar trees. They're afraid of nothing. They change their own oil. Their favorite kind of wine is beer. I mean, these are, these are tough trees. These are trees that look strong. This is a joke. You're allowed to laugh. They are, they are, they are, are, they are granite strong trees. And they looked absolutely unchanged. They looked exactly like I remembered them, not only when I was a teenager, but when I was a child and I used to play in that park. That's why I think Paul would have loved the tree metaphor. Trees are strong. They stand firm. Listen to what he says. If you have your bulletin, open it up to the New Testament lesson with me, will you? The epistle reading. At the very beginning, the very first verse, here's what Saint Paul says. As he, as he begins to wind down this letter, this letter that he's, he's written to these, these Christians in Philippi, his sort of final words to them, Therefore, my sisters and brothers, or brothers, Adelphoi could be both, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. Stand firm. This is a, a command. It's a It's an imperative. It's not a bossy or presumptuous type. It's, um, it's more like, it's like the wife who is standing down. Her husband is in the boxing ring boxing. Um, you know, this is Adrian down. Rocky, get up. You know, get, this is, this is that sort of imperative. Maybe a little softer, like the grandmother who says to her granddaughter, Oh dear, play that Beethoven piece again. It's that kind of command. It's not the, the sort of demanding, uh, drill sergeant kind of command. And, and what is it? What's the command? Stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm. Hold fast to the Lord Jesus. Now, I think you only give this kind of command if it's predicated on the notion that there is something going against you that's going to keep you from standing firm. That there is pressure to move. I mean, it's not like someone says to you, you really should continue to love that Jerry Garcia ice cream. As if anybody could stop loving Ben and Jerry's ice cream. This is impossible, right? You don't give somebody a command like that. It's, you, you, you don't say, Joe, you really should stay there and watch that football game. Don't get up and, and do anything, you know. Um, it, it, that's not a command I have a hard time keeping. It's a command that you need to do something because there is something coming against you. Hold fast. And the Philippians are living in a culture... The, the Roman culture that is against them and even in the church the Roman culture is libertine do whatever you want and in the church there are these legalists who are coming at them and saying you have to take on this ancient Jewish um, practices as, as a requisite for membership and both of them are damaging to the gospel and Paul says in the midst of both a culture and a church that has the wrong message I need you to stand firm well how do you do this? How does one stand firm? And Paul gives it to us. I'm going to give you four ways. And we're going to go through these pretty quickly, so stay with me, all right? The first thing is, standing firm requires Christians to seek reconciliation. Standing firm requires Christians to seek reconciliation when they've been estranged from one another. Look at the second verse. I entreat Uadia, and I entreat Sentaiki. I urge, I'm really strongly urging both of these women to agree in the Lord. These two women are real people. It's like, you know, saying, I entreat Eunice and um, Cynthia. You know, I mean, these are two real people, two actual women who worked with Paul planting the church in Philippi. We can assume that at one time they were friends, that they, kn- they know each other. They they were friends. They were fellow workers, and something happened. We don't know what happened. Paul doesn't tell us, but something happened, and these two women have become estranged. And Paul says, "Agree in the Lord." He literally says, "Be of the same mind. Set your your differences aside." Why is it so important to agree in the Lord? This isn't about agreeing about everything. It's not saying whatever you know that people can't have personal opinions. But it's about agreeing in the Lord in terms of fellowship and friendship and care for one another. Why? Because resentment is like rust to metal. It's like harmful bacteria to living organisms. It's like an emerald ash borer to a tree. Stick with our tree metaphor here. Resentment destroys the soul. Holding a grudge destroys the one who holds the grudge, not the one against whom the grudge is held if you have two people who are holding grudges against one another, it's going to destroy their spiritual well-being, and that's just going to infect the entire church. Paul says, be united. Be reconciled. Have the same mind. second thing he says that they need to do is to celebrate. Christians, not only need to be reconciled to one another, they need to celebrate with one another. Look at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Now listen how N.T. Wright translates it. Celebrate joyfully in the Lord all the time. I'll say it again. Celebrate. See, Tom Wright says that the way that we look at the word rejoicing is like this. We think rejoicing is like an inner sense of happiness. And it sort of wells up inwardly. You have this emotion inside of you. Internally, you, you have this sense of, of well-being and happiness, and this makes you feel, oh, really glad and giddy. you know? <laughs> Like, you know, if, if one of our teams ever won anything, you know, we would be, oh, that would be so great, right? We would just inwardly celebrate. But that's not what it meant in Paul's culture. It meant to have an outward celebration. The pagans would hold festivals in the city streets. They would have games and, and events to celebrate their gods. And, and and Tom Wright is saying, why shouldn't the followers of King Jesus celebrate every bit as exuberantly as those of the pagan gods? And it's true. Christians should celebrate. They should, they should celebrate the gift of, of Christ and His transforming work in the world. Third, be reconciled. Celebrate. Third, have an attitude of trust. Standing firm requires an attitude of trust. Verse 5, the second half of the verse. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I understand that anxiety can be a medical condition. And I don't think Paul is talking about that. I understand that. I, I I come from a long line of warriors. Um, we have been worrying since, um, you know, uh, some t- way back in the, the, the Russian, uh, uh, you know, whatever, you know, <laughs> German uh, czars. They were we worried about them. We everything. Um, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about worrying about whether or not God is really going to be able to deliver us. The Philippians are facing the same sort of fate that Paul was facing. He knows that. He knows they know that. If he's in prison, if he's executed, who's going to be next? Don't worry. Don't be anxious about this. In fact, don't worry at all. The word he uses for worry here um, is two Greek words. It's a combination, a a compound word. and, And one means to divide. And the other is the mind. To divide the mind. And here's what we do. We know how this works, right? On the one hand... We have God who is good and powerful and can do all things. But on the other hand, oh my. You know, oh my. What are the Romans going to do to me? What what sort of things am I going to face? Paul says, don't be anxious. But, I want to say... That the way that he uses this grammatically, syntactically is a big butt. But I know if I said big butt, then everybody would start chuckling. I would lose you for the rest of the time. You're already there. I see the smiles creeping across your face. But there are two ways to do an adversive. Actually, there's more than two. There are several ways. But there are soft adversatives, which is like, um, you know, don't go out that door. But go got this one. It's quicker. You know, it's sort of a, a, a slight change. There's a strong adversative. Don't go out that door, there's a raging fire out there. There's not, (laughs) but go out this door. You know, that's a strong adversative, right? A a strong change. Don't be anxious, but pray. Don't be anxious, pray. And it comes with a promise. Look at verse 7. Don't be anxious, but pray, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. The word guard is is the word for for soldiering. It's a sentry who stands guard outside of the city gates or outside of the camp. It's It's the first line of defense. God Himself will guard your hearts and minds, Paul says to the Philippians. Be reconciled. Celebrate. Have trust in God. And lastly... Keep an active, positive mindset. Verse 8. Finally, sisters and brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Cultivate, work at, actively keeping minds on honorable things, things that are genuine, pure, Friendly, one, one word is uh, uh, prosphileo, to, to, to be active going towards friendship and love. Work at thinking about things that are friendly, decent, virtuous. Notice he doesn't approach it from the negative. Paul doesn't say avoid things that are unholy, evil, wrong, mean-spirited. He doesn't say that. He says it only in a positive frame. Think about things that are honorable, decent, genuine, friendly, virtuous. And again, comes with the promise. Verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Here's the promise. And the God of peace will be with you. Will be with you. The God of peace. Will be with you, and I know you're. I, I've telegraphed this punch way out in front of me. You know, this is this isn't the typical subtle Joe Boys will approach. This is more of a, 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 a straight at you thing. You know how this applies. If it works for the Philippians, it works for us. Forgive and be reconciled. Don't hold grudges. If it's true for Philippian Christians, it's true for Hudson Christians. That we don't hold grudges. That we're reconciled to one another. That we let perceived wrongs or even actual wrongs go. Let them go. Why? Because they're like rust. They're like harmful bacteria. They're like cancer that eats away at the stability of the church. And causes people not to be able to stand in the Lord. Secondly, celebrate. I mean celebrate. Throw parties. Y'all are really good at throwing parties. I've been here for a while. This, is a, this church knows how to party. I was thinking about this when I was working through this text. Um, I remember when, um, when, when Mrs. Sorensen donated the bell for the church. I don't know if any of you remember that. Um, we had a party. It had a big party. We've had several parties since then. This, this is just one that stuck out in my mind. And here's why. Because late in the evening, we had a string of octogenarians in a Congo line out in the narthex. I Man, you want to talk about something that was amazing. I, I still have pictures of this. I remember Paul Thilo. Who, you remember Paul Thilo was an associate uh, minister here at this church? Goodness, I think he was 83, 84, and here he was out leading the Congo line, a Lutheran minister. Beautiful. I think Paul would have been really happy with that. Celebrate what the Lord is doing, avoid anxiety by turning our thoughts into prayer. Turn our thoughts into prayer. To to be mindful, to have an an intentionality that we're going to turn our anxieties into confidence by praying. And lastly, embracing positive thoughts. Think good things. And you will stand firm. This is what will root you and ground you in the power of God. And, and, And you will stand firm in the faith. I was thinking about how someday, I don't know when, somebody's going to call, you know, from Springfield. And they're like, Joe and Abby, you have to come down. We're having a, we're having a reunion in, in Snyder Park. And we're going to take Frisbees and footballs and lots of food. And we're going to go there. And I'm going to be upset when I drive into the park because the traffic pattern is going to be all messed up. And there will be no mermaid in the lagoon. There will be no golfers in there. The steel bridge is probably going to be gone. It will be some ugly gray structure. But I know what's going to be standing there. These old trees, these massive old trees. They were, paint, they were planted when McKinley was president. I mean, these trees have seen a lot. And they're old and strong and durable not because they have avoided hardship. These trees have seen blizzards. These trees have seen hailstorms and tornadoes have ripped through that park. And they have stood the test of time. I was going through not too long ago, and there was a makeshift memorial. Some young person had driven through the park late at night too fast, had run into one of these trees, and perished as a result of that crash. The tree looked untouched. You are going to face adversity. There is going to be difficulty that comes your way. I can promise you that. You probably won't make it through the day before something is going to come at you. How do you stand firm when the culture is against you, when there's problems even within the church, when there's problems everywhere, when the devil himself has set his sights on you? How do you stand firm? This is how you do it. Now stand firm, and the God of peace will be with you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.